This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Maggie Jackson is the recipient of numerous prestigious awards, fellowships, and prizes as an author and journalist whose essays, commentary, and books have been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, New Philosopher on public radio, and elsewhere. A graduate of Yale and the London School of Economics, her book, Distracted, Reclaiming Our Focus in a World of Lost Attention, has been described as groundbreaking and essential, and a new updated edition has just been released that continues to warn that the fragmentation of attention in today's world is eroding our abilities to problem-solve, innovate, and care for one another. Super important book. I hope you read it. Distracted. She's the author of another book, earlier book, What's Happening to Home, Balancing Work, Life, and Refuge in the Information Age, which was the first to explore the fate of home in the digital age, a time when private life is permeable and portable. In this episode, Maggie and I talk about distraction in the digital age and a new project she's working on. This is the main focus of this conversation, what she calls productive uncertainty. We explore the benefits of fallow time, which permits restoration and rejuvenation, the dangers of snap judgments and how we're biased toward making them without really thinking, how to nourish the slow mind, as she calls it, and so much more. Maggie explains some of the cognitive science that underpins her really incisive insights on how to cultivate a greater acceptance of openness to uncertainty, and non-linear ways of appreciating our world. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, I would much appreciate it if you would please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, so others are more likely to find it and enjoy it, too. Now, without further ado... Please get set to listen to and learn from a truly important thinker about how we as human beings engage with each other in our brave new world. It's Maggie Jackson. Maggie Jackson, welcome back to Work and Life. Thank you, Stu. It's great to be back. Wonderful to be with you today. Well, it's great to have you here. Um, Let's let's jump into the the topic of uh, the wisdom of uncertainty and uh, the importance of flexibility as a kind of uh, gift to being open to uncertainty and harnessing its powers. Um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what I've what I've read from your recent uh, ideas on this. 
Explain to us what you mean by the wisdom of uncertainty and the importance of flexibility and why that's important now. Sure. Um, Well, one way we can approach it is um, by just uh, talking a little bit about what happens when we avoid uncertainty, what happens when we jump to answers, when we think decisiveness means closing in on an answer, um, you know, when we uh, adhere to the kind of advocacy-based meetings, you know, bringing in the solution before the problem is even discussed, all of that in psychological terms leads to this uncertainty and avoidance leads to rigidity, Mm -hmm. anxiety, loss of creativity, which are precisely the kind of problems that are now stymieing our ability to problem solve and move forward in today's very volatile world. So before we get into those problems, uh, say a bit more, if you would, about how our, um, uh, let's call it fear for now, of, of living in, uns- in uncertain moments uh, or episodes, how that creates this uh, rigidity or anxiety response. Sure. Um, well, this we're talking about two things here. Okay. One is the disposition. So in other words, the approach to thinking and, and, and therefore the approach to life, um, how you uh, approach a problem. And the second thing which we can get into is the skill sets, uh, the skill in thinking um, that is also related to um, how we cope with and um, harness uncertainty. Um, so basically, you know, why is it that we become rigid when we want to be certain all the time or when we mm-hmm. speed to an answer, when we rush to judgment? Well, we can trace this back to um, the cognitive underpinnings are the quick and slow mind, which most probably your, of your listeners have heard of. Um, you know, the quick and intuitive mind gives you that gut answer. Um, it uh, also includes a kind of, quote-unquote, feeling of knowing. Um, you know, this is the answer that pops to mind um, based on, um, you know, the, the sort of uh, fr- uh, mind, um, the non-reflective mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, this quick mind is really based on what was rewarding in the past. So when the ancient, ancient past. Exactly. It, well, both your your personal history of mm-hmm. learning and experience. So the expert surgeon who gets the gut answer about how to proceed when there's a problem in the operating room, they're basing it that on learned, honed, automatic experience. Um, it doesn't take time. They recognize, you know, what happened with that vein or artery or whatever. And that then you also have these ancient set of quote-unquote heuristics, which are shortcut uh, abilities to solve a problem, mm-hmm. and you race to the answer based on, the, for instance, um, you know, the first thing you see is the best. You know, juries almost invariably um, decide on a case depending on the first evidence given, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. So Don, Daniel Kahneman made this popular, but it's Basically, you know, throughout history, since ancient classical times, we know that we have this duality, you know, the quickness and the slowness. Now, the slowness is that more recently involved, a higher order mind that actually allows us to, it, it 
it actually um, evolved from the animal's ability to freeze, to gather more information, and then um, uh, you know, p- uh, approach a new problem. You only need to reflect, really, when something is new, when it's not the same old thing, mm-hmm. when, when, you're not, when the tried and true won't work anymore. Then you're faced with uh, an, an, uh, your capacity to basically solve the new problem or discern what's really going on when something is murky. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where uncertainty comes in, um, because uncertainty is um, the transition, the get-go. It's the key to unlock the higher-order mind. And what I'm talking about um, has, is being shown in a kind of explosion of scientific research, you know, in medicine, in business, in cognitive science, in psychology, um, that's beginning to understand that we need to wake up to the, the opportunity of uncertainty. Now, of course, uncertainty is really, it, it's, it's exactly where we feel uncomfortable. It's exactly when we're in the indefinite situation. Right. So well, let me let me jump yeah. in here. And, and just to clarify where we were just a couple of minutes ago, uh, what I thought I understood you to say was that it is the uh, the quick movement from uncertainty that 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 uh, results the, in a feeling of anxiety because of the rigidity of the response without sort of reflection or mindful stopping and assessing alternatives. Do I have that right? Yes, yes, pretty much yes, because. Basically, when you're confronted with a new problem, you know, you can act in multiple ways. But a lot of the time, we just race to the answer. We go with the gut answer. Uh, We don't stop to then explore that uncertain situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So that you don't stop to instigate or uh, invoke that reflective mind. And so what I'm talking about is basically, um, you know, aspects of your life that are, you know, are, present confusion or ambivalence or um, hesitation, delay. And, in other words, most of life. <laughs> well, um, all, all, often in life, you know. Uh, I mean, these are really common sort of states of mind, mm-hmm. states of being, and all of the, what I just described is what we fear and shun, and yet that is precisely what we need in order to um, then uh, solve the most complex problems, you know, in what, what we need to do to thrive in the non-routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's been skipped over. I mean, even in, you know, business scholars or other scholars, uh, uncertainty hasn't been studied as a subject in itself until very recently. Uh, it was always seen as something to uh, extricate yourself from, from something to just speed through um, in order to, you know, even if you're thinking, uh, even if you're trying to, to do that kind of important reflection. But now it's really considered this um, skill set unto itself, which is really exciting. So the, I mean, it, the it, bias for action that, that, that once existed during my lifetime as a, as a business professional and scholar uh, is 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 now in disfavor? Is that what you're saying? Yes, and this is actually tough uh, stuff. I mean, it's re- it, it um, moves against everything that we've been taught in this age of efficiency and speed. Everything that you think 
you know about to get ahead as a parent, as a CEO. You know, the parent is the person who has got to have the answers. Mm-hmm. The CEO, of course, even more so. I mean, some studies at Columbus, Columbia Business School have shown that um, peop, uh, CEOs or leaders who take t- just 10 minutes to reflect on a new problem, on something that's brand new, something that they don't know the answer to, they take that little bit of time to mull or consider, and they're rated as less influential. They um, rated so as what? Say less influential, you know, less a, a because more weak leader. They've paused. They've paused exactly. And that's and I'll, I'll so. There's still other. a normative uh, bias against pausing and reflecting. Well, I think we're beginning to reach the end of the line in terms of people are beginning to understand, um, you know, what uh, utter speed, whether it's overload and work or, um, you know, snap judgment has begun to do to, um, you know, us at, at, at home and at work. I think people, you see this uh, in you know, all sorts of signs in our culture about slowing down, about meditation, mm-hmm. about, you know, sort of an, even, anti, even anti-capitalistic questioning, things like that. But what I'm saying is that there's more to the story. Slowing, meditating, great, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Leaving stress, that isn't going to give you the skills you need, it, need to think. So what I'm trying to do is point to an, a new language for critical thinking. And just to drive this home, just to make it a little more concrete, okay. moment, I'll tell you about a, a really wonderful, one of my favorite studies from my research for this book so far, is um, it was uh, set in Europe uh, at a ta- few years ago. Scientists were studying the doubling of the European Union. So, the, you know, there would be 25 countries instead of 14 or, you know, 12 and the CEO, they, they spent time with the CEOs um, across Europe, a number of CEOs, and um, asked them what they felt about this. Were they certain it, this would be bad or, or, or sure that this would be great for their company? Mm-hmm. Or were they torn? Were they ambivalent? This comes out of a new um, research vein in, in business studies on, ambi- on, the, on the upsized ambivalence. Mm-hmm. Well, a year later, these social scientists came back and asked and, and found out, A, you know, what the CEOs had done, B, whether their reaction to this vast new marketplace had been successful, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what they found, to their surprise, and I think it might surprise uh, your listeners, is that the, it was the ambivalent CEOs who were the most resourceful. They were the ones to open up new plants in a new marketplace. Mm. The ones who are sure, either that it was going to be good or bad, sat back, you know, either tried completely not novel solutions, they did nothing, or they, or they rested on what they'd always done before. They weren't getting ahead. And so why is that? Uncertainty gives people a kind of sense that something's unusual. Mm-hmm. And the difference between productive uncertainty and un- the uncertainty that we're sort of used to thinking about with that discomfort and fear of paralysis, et cetera, the difference between that is being able to sit with the uncertainty long enough mm-hmm. to see the nuance and the depth and the complexities mm-hmm. of what the problem is. So the as we've discussed, there is a, a deep uh, bias in our in our society that is inclined towards rapid 
judgment and decision making that it is important to be decisive, to not waste time on uh, contemplative reflection, especially in, in conditions of threat uh, and urgency. Um, <clears throat> whether that's you know with a a child that's just hurt himself, or uh, you know a a manufacturing facility that's blowing up, or uh, what whatever the problem might be, uh, you know, decisiveness, swift action, fast judgment is highly valued. And, and certitude, um, because they go hand in hand. I mean, for instance, four-fifths of business decisions, on the whole, on average, according to lo- longitudinal studies by Paul Nutt, uh, um, for, in four-fifths of business decisions, managers and executives consider just one option. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, racing to one answer, not looking around. And, and uh, even, of course, I think this, th- th- these ideas actually do a, a great deal toward uh, explaining the polarization in our country today. You know, half of Americans say they rarely or never mm-hmm. change their minds. So, they, so, so yeah. given that there is this uh, deep-seated uh, inclination, uh, especially in our society, towards rapid judgments and, and, the, and people who are seen as decisive uh, are, 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 you know, are valued, um, how... How then do we start to build in the capacity for pause, reflection, nuanced thinking about alternatives? How do you get past that bias, and where does where does that work begin? I, I, I'm certain that listeners are wondering about that question because I am. Yes, yes. Well, um, two options, two ways, as mm-hmm. usual, and as we know from our long um, heritage in the work-life field and, and uh, your total leadership uh, uh, work, you know, small steps make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. difference. But I'll, I'll just say one more sort of macro, you know, 30,000 feet up comment, which is that, um, yes, there are these built-in uh, obstacles to harnessing uncertainty. This is a, this is really new, a new field, uh, and hmm. people still look at the decisive CEO as the successful leader. But again, to uh, refer to that CEO ambivalence study that mm-hmm. I was talking mm-hmm. about, um, those were the, 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 the resourceful ones were also the ones who were more inclusive. Wow. I mean, mm. they were the ones who brought in more diverse opinions. They were the ones who Not uh, got to the deeper. Yeah, exactly. So what you're seeing in and around these uh um, we may not have had a vocabulary, but I think we're already seeing change in this direction. I mean, I think this is actually quantum. This is this is basically the end of a 400-year-old, what John Dewey, the philosopher, called quest for certainty. Hmm. The world is not certain from science to medicine to psychology to identity. We now need to know how to deal with that. So, yes, how can you... And the great thing is, small steps do matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, for instance, you know, the idea that you don't have to know every minute is really important. That's a value step. But also... What does that mean, you don't have to know every minute? You don't have to know what every minute? You don't have to have the answer every single minute because time mm. and time again in the research, um, uh, there's a, you know, a ton of findings that show that um, the later answer, again, mm-hmm. when it's non-routine, when it's complex, not just normal, everyday, you, you know, seen this, done this a million times, but uh, when something is complex or new, 
um, the, the, the answer, the next answer, the first answer is usually actually neat, plausible, quick, and off target. And so when you need to know the complexities, that's when uh, you don't need to know this exact minute. So, um, so I'm know. very curious to know how this plays out then in people's lives today in terms of how they can begin to think in in a more reflective way, given you know the preferences, the social preferences uh, that are that are being um, expressed from most of the people around them, that you know they should be decisive. I'll never right. forget the first meeting I went to at the Ford Motor Company when I joined that company 20 years ago, which I did for a few years on leave from Morton. Uh, the very first meeting I attended with the CEO sitting at a table with me and maybe six or seven other people in a room of about 100 people sitting at these eight-person tables, uh, there was some presentation. I can't even remember what the topic was, but I remember uh, <clears throat> vividly uh, we were going around the circle in response to this idea that had just been pitched. And, of course, I'm just kind of scratching my head and wondering, like, what the heck am I doing here anyway? Why didn't I just stay at Wharton? Why did I leave? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have no idea what I'm doing. Help! Uh, you know, all that was filling my head as I'm trying to sort through this problem that I had just never encountered before. And I'm, I'm pausing to think, which is, you know, that's how I generally operate. And it was immediately evident that my pausing to think was not being looked upon with great satisfaction by my colleagues. Uh, in other words, like, come on, Stu, what do you think? Boom, boom, let's go. Right, and, right. And that was the order of the day. Well, uh, yeah, And I think uh, that's common these days still. So how do you get past that? Well, I think it's common, but I also, I'll also have to say, again, that it's not as common. People really are learning about the uh, risks of being mm -hmm. that decisive. I mean, we're seeing the sort of crumbling of the um, Silicon Valley uh, attitudes. We're seeing the, you know, the rise of, in, in some ways, a little too extreme um, uh, valuing of failure and error and things like that. So, yes, it, you know, there, we're in this transitional mm. point. Um, but I think, you know, it's very, I can only say yes. how we can wake up. I can't. Each one no, of us. I don't have a, a perfect tip sheet for how you can handle that particular boardroom situation, right. except that, you know, to know that skepticism is highly related to, you know, your highest capacity of your frontal lobes, you know, the, the reflective mind, mm -hmm. you know, to know that in situations where um, you are hurried, stressed, um, you know, in flux, um, etc. Those are precisely the situations where you're going to close down more rapidly on an answer that probably mm -hmm. won't work. And so it's, you know, really important to just be aware, be wary. And, um, you know, I, I was down in New Mexico um, researching, spending time with an intervention for low-income families where it's partly related to Head Start, um, but this is going nationally, and it's a very small, um, you know, very simple program to teach people in chaotic um, households how to pause and reflect. Hmm. And again, it sounds so simple. How could that even be done? They have everything pushing against them in mm -hmm. terms of contemplative time. I mean, they're 
fighting for their lives. It's mm-hmm. really difficult. And yet, after a few weeks of just trying to ha- create those pause moments, um, not just to de-stress the situation, what they were doing exactly was being taught to carve out the space carve out the space for contemplation. That's one of the major things that uncertainty does to you. So if you can say to yourself, ah, I'm uncertain, therefore I'm beginning to think, I mean, you might have to wear the mask of decisiveness at, mm. in, in certain situations, mm-hmm. like the boardroom, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. While you're thinking. Yeah, but, it's, but, but of course, leaders and, and, and people who are leading, you know, in their family or leading in their community, et cetera, can begin to understand, reflect on these, these, um, this really quantum kind of change that I'm talking about and, you know, try it in small, in small doses. What, what's essential for us to learn how to harness the power of uncertainty? What, what kind of guidance can you offer? Sure. Um, well, I think there, there are two different kinds. I mean, I guess one, or two or three, but I, I think that this uh, approach to uncertainty um, can help us in multiple different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, just for instance, in social interactions with people we disagree with, um, you know, one of the most important parts to um, actually being open to others who um, you know you don't want to listen to in this day and in, in, in this day of political schisms mm-hmm. is just to um, basically understand how to um, you know create that kind of space of non-judgmental awareness to you know to to recoin the buddhist term and in, and i i say how do you as, do that so i see it as socratic wisdom also just yes, knowing inquiry you don't know well one of the most interesting um tactics that's now being mm-hmm. discovered to uh counter the you know deeply innate biases that we have against others um, who we disagree with or don't like mm-hmm. um, is um, perspective taking. Mm-hmm. And this is just um, basically a kind of leap of imagination where you're trying to see what another person thinks. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not empathy. This is not, I feel your pain. This is mm-hmm. a cognitive form of empathy. So if it's for instance, seeing from their perspective, I call that the leadership leap. Oh, yes, it is a leap. You get inside somebody else's heart and mind and try to see the world through their eyes. Yeah, exactly. And the scientific uh, evidence shows that this this is incredibly powerful, um, that if you are, for instance, just imagining what it's like to be a murderer or a homeless person or someone whose experience might be really different from your own and whom you might be very, very biased against, um, it shows that you are willing to, after doing this perspective taking, just briefly, and there's no wrong way to do it. That's the wonder, the beauty of it. There's no wrong way. Just take that leap, and you are, uh, you're willing to sit closer to that person. You're willing to deal with them. You're mm. willing to then begin to communicate with them. And that's really important. And, you know, the, the sort of overlooked power behind perspective taking is uncertainty, because those who are sticking to categorizations, those who are sticking to the biases, you know, shutting their minds against uh, a pariah or someone who's different from them in our society, they are 
um, knowing, so to speak, whereas people who are willing to perspective take, you have to just, Mm -hmm. um, even unconsciously, know in a certain way that you don't know. You have to lift the lid on unassumingness. And that is that does require conscious and deliberate uh, action to try to cultivate that that kind of mind. You t- were telling us just before the break about an intervention in in uh, the Southwest, teaching kids uh, or families who were in, in in harsh circumstances how even under such circumstances where it's a, a day in day out fight for survival that it's possible to learn how to carve the space, uh, as you put it, for, um, for even a moment's contemplation to pause, reflect, see the nuance, be, become smarter, essentially, in terms of being able to see opportunities and ra- yeah. rather than moving to rapid, reflexive judgment. Uh, right. So and how did they do that? How did they teach those kids or those families how to do that? Well, in a, in, a, in a kind of a stealth method, the okay. beauty, the genius of this, and this kit was largely created by um, developmental psychologist mm-hmm. Philip Zalazzo, who's really well known for his work on executive function. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not that, you know, you're going to, they go to six different classes, um, you know, evening classes, the parents, mm-hmm. and then they bring home this skill set. Um, and um, it's basically really easy stuff. I mean, it's it's not sort of reflection school. It's not uncertainty school. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't that wouldn't uh, be anything that would be comfortable for any of us. So what um, is it? Basically, it's just family routines. You're being taught mm-hmm. family routines, but really underneath it all is when it's bedtime and there's chaos. When you're trying to get out the door in the morning, mm-hmm. and again nothing's going right. Then there's a little bit of a mantra where you just pause, uh, engage, you know, in other words, try to engage that, the, the other people around you and then reflect. And, and in just a minute, if you can be, if that can become the routine, then again, you've gained the, 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 the time and it has incredible ripple effects where the mm-hmm. entire, uh, zone of chaos, which is now thought to be one of the leading um, problems, you know, or challenges for people in in high risk circumstances. Um, that zone of chaos is already quieted, and the studies show that this uh, program is raising executive function. In other words, your ability to think Use actually rises, mm-hmm. and lowering stress, cognitive, you know, cortisol, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. So, seems very simple. But it's really important. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the uncertainty skills that I'm writing about in the book range from, you know, such simple procedures to, you know, much more highly complex, you know, types of thinking. But, you know, for instance, you know, daydreaming, it's a, that is, um, you know, allowing yourself in a creative way, not in a distracted way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, creative daydreaming is really about um, drifting and, um, you know, allowing that uncertainty to carry us forward while using the executive mind to kind of guide ourselves, um, you know, hmm. toward a problem. Um, you so know, this so, does not help me to justify my frequent napping schedule. <laughs> sure it does. How? There's Explain. Cha- I'm always looking a- for, for evidence to support my claims to the napping space in my life. Well, um, there's a whole chapter in my forthcoming book about what I call fallow time. And, fallow? Uh, fallow, yes. Just as the farmer yes. lets the field 
you know, stay still and quiet and rejuvenate. Mm-hmm. So now uh, we're beginning to understand the the power of delay, but also of rest, of even just momentarily pausing, rest. of sleeping, etc., and even of delaying over time. They call it spacing in learning. You know, in uh-huh. you know, in other words, don't cram you know, in school, you know, space out your learning. So all of these things I call fallow time mm-hmm. because the mind is reflecting unconsciously or beneath mm-hmm. the level of your... So that's, that is basically uh, I, the force of delay uh, is basically, uh, again, harnessing uncertainty. All right, You're, so my next yeah. nap I'm going to announce as <laughs> I'm taking some fallow time. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. You need that around me in order for my my crops to grow ever more, uh, you know, potent as I as I come back from the fallow period. Right. Well, Darwin was his greatest leaps forward in terms of all his scientific thinking came after he put his work aside. Now, sometimes that was for decades, but anyhow, it's it's true in the moment. It's true overnight. And it's true uh, for longer periods of time. Well, that's why we have the Sabbath. Yes, exactly. The power of the Sabbath, and so the most sacred day of the year, yeah. uh, of the of the week, rather in 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 some traditions. Yes, and of course now technologically that's utilized as a tool, the Sabbath or the Facebook fast, et cetera, et cetera. But what I'm trying to do is say. That's not enough. That's just the starting point. What you really need is to develop the skills. And so I've been interviewing surgeons. And in Canada, first responders are just, um, they're starting a five-year training program, which is about boosting tolerance of uncertainty in order to raise resilience. Uh, So what is it that is being taught to these Canadians well, it's very new, and so I have to get to Saskatchewan sometime in July in order to get the details. But basically, um, it's partly, um, partly, and I think there's more to it, but partly um, people are being taught to um, kind of lower their distress in moments of fear mm-hmm. or uh, the unknown volatile situations, and therefore, um, over time, they can um, grow more comfortable with that kind of uncertainty. And they lower their distress by doing what? Well, I'm not sure yet. Stay tuned. Okay, but what's what's your guess based on the other research that you've done? What do you expect is is happening in this training program? Well, two things. First of all, from my other research in um, investigating this, as I started to say, disposition or tolerance Mm -hmm. of uncertainty, uh, one of the things that you need to do is continually push the envelope of your comfort zone. I mean, that's what true expertise is. That's what true mastery is. It's not, you know, I've learned the thing. I've done it well for 30 years. I'm now the expert CEO or surgeon or potter or a carpenter. No, it's actually I'm going to take on the new the next new problem that's a little bit harder for me. That you know that, uh, mm-hmm. that I'm going to get into the, uh, that situation where I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Those are the people who don't just apply their knowledge, but they expand their knowledge. And again, you mm-hmm. can see you can Constantly. see from all that we've talked about mm-hmm. that this is working at the edge of your knowledge. So therefore, you are working at the edge of what you do and do not know, and you're in the zone of uncertainty. You're not, you're not so far in that you don't know anything, but you're 
expanding your ability. And, and that's, that is a true dynamic approach to life. I mean, and it's when you feel most alive, like when you're playing music and you have a sense of what the motif is and you, you understand what the rhythm is that you're a part of, but then you, you're exploring new, new avenues, new pathways. And, and, uh, in the, in the best case, uh, you are, you start to lose your sense of time as you are completely alive in the moment exploring but using what you know as you go further beyond what you know right and i think it's a little bit different than that concept of flow which is doing something that you do know Mm -hmm. so well that you're in that zone you're in that moment this is a little bit different this is closely related to what um, some experts call deliberative practice. So that's, that's what I'm talking about, being a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And then, you know, when you mastered it, you can get into that flow and everything, you know, then we'll, everything will sail by and go well. How does um, productive uncertainty relate to the work, uh, the seminal work that you've been doing in the realm of distraction and what it means to reclaim our focus in a world of lost attention? Yes. Well, I'm glad you asked about that. It's really interesting because I had spent a lot of time uh, uh, dealing with the science of attention and mm-hmm. why focus is so important. But I really, that is, that this question of what is the relationship between attention and thinking was what drove me um, a number of years ago to start in on this project uh, that wound up, I wanted to write a book about skill and thinking. I'm winding up writing a book about uncertainty and the practice as it relates to thinking, because that's the missing link. Mm. Um, But attention enables us to think. It's basically a a focus, for instance, there are three types of attention, focus, awareness of your surroundings, and then executive attention. But focus, just start there, is a boundary making. You know, it's a spotlight of your mind. It's putting that problem Mm. into the spotlight so that all of your cognitive abilities are, are, are going to be applied. It doesn't give you the skill set to think through the problem. Mm. And so step two and then step three are the disposition, the attitude you need, the willingness to put your whole heart into it. And, and those who can be productively uncertain have that disposition. It's just it, so much follows from that. Thirdly, so so it's you can't learn it. Oh yeah, you absolutely can learn it. That's yeah, no, absolutely. This disposition, this tolerance of uncertainty, Mm -hmm. this ability to um, be reflective, um, um, you know, to um, understand, you know, when and how to use your skills to to understand what you do and don't know. That's that's so important for learning. So that's a capacity that can be learned. Absolutely. All right, then I would urge you to use a different term than disposition because as a psychologist, I understand the term to mean something that is innate and that you're kind of, you know, it's an innate or something that you're born with, but that's a semantic issue. I think the latest on dispositions in the psychology world is that it's definitely both situational. In mm-hmm. other words, if you're in a rush, your disposition is going to be different. Okay. And it's also, it's also malleable. So My yes, ignorance then. Thank you yeah, for correcting me. No, no, me. that's all right. Well, so, it's, all, it's all about plasticity. But I was going to end there with okay. saying that the, you, know, fi- you, know, you have the, the focus of the attention to the problem. You have the disposition to do it right, et cetera, et cetera. And then you also have, you need the skills 
of, you know, how to think. And that could be everything from, you know, dealing with a kind of framework or mental model uh, in your mind mm-hmm. and understanding how to tweak it and, and when is, um, uh, you know, when mm-hmm. is in, uh, it, it right to ignore a hunch? When do you go for that? When do you change your evidence? These are all skills related to working with uncertainty, questioning, testing, probing, very active and, uh, mm-hmm, and that, that's mm-hmm. so related to the reflective line. So how does this take uh, Kahneman, you know, beyond, how does this step us beyond thinking fast, thinking slow? Oh, very good question, too. Um, Kahneman's entire work, working and brilliant, you know, Nobel win, Prize-winning life was devoted to taking down the idea of the rational man, the idea that this kind of reflective thinking was predictable, you know, economic, uh, you know, um, we were always logical, et cetera, et cetera. That has been what we've been seeing, what's been seen as the ideal of higher order thinking since the Enlightenment times. He brilliantly exposed the fallibilities, the imperfections, mm-hmm. these kinds of uh, biases and heuristics that leave us uh, un, you know, unable, basically, to solve the more complex, non-routine mm-hmm. things. So he, you know, he gave us all the templates of how we, how we can, um, you know, think in routine, but how we fail when we don't. So therefore, where's the groundwork? His book, you know, again, brilliant as it is, didn't really explain the slow mind. So I'm mm. taking this further, updating it, you know, 10 years after his was published mm-hmm. and, um, you know, understanding, you know, where uh, uncertainty's role in considered thinking. And it basically turns everything you think about thinking on its head. Everything you think sets you back is going to propel you forward. Everything you fear and shun in cognition is probably precisely what you should be driving at. It's really, I mean, even confusion and learning. That's basically, uh, if you're not confused when you're learning a complex problem, you're not actually learning it deeply. Mm-hmm. And I, I spoke at a, a, a Midwestern Such an important college. idea. Yeah, I, I spoke at a college a year or so ago, McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I was giving a career talk about being a journalist and an author, um, but I actually decided to speak quite a bit about uncertainty. There were a big crowd of faculty, staff, and students, and I said, and just you know, to boil it down, if you're uncertain, that's great. You're on the cusp of thinking deeply. That's actually exciting. And I could see the little tension in their shoulders drop. People rushed up to me afterwards and Hmm. said, thank you so much. It gave them permission to be in the space of the indefinite. And that's the starting point. We need Mm -hmm. to give that to our children, most of all. Why is that? And how is that in in the next minute? That's all you've got for for that complex question. (laughs) Well, we need to give them permission to know that confusion, the nonlinear, the daydreaming, is is precisely where we're going to find the deeper, richer answers in life. And that somehow this template-driven, box-oriented, take-it-off-the-boxes, kind of what you see on the internet way, is a very, very, you know, sadly mechanized and diminished view of what hum- the human mind is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as well, I think that what we really need to do yes. is 
restore faith in the human mind. What I'm talking about is all the messy beauty Mm -hmm. and strength of the human mind, which far outstrips anything that AI can do or is going to do for quite a while. Uh, And so I think that's another show, another topic. Yes, exactly. So so how, with the slow mind, do we become a better parent, a better manager? Absolutely. How? You'll become a more calmer person and manager. You'll be the person who can see the better solution, not just the first solution. You'll be the person who is, and here's the clincher for both all your four, you know, win segments of your life. Mm. Uh, you, this is, if you think, if you remember nothing else of what we talked about today, this is the route to adaptability. This is the only, this is our, the way we've evolved in order to have an antidote to the reactivity that gets us forward every day when we're just tying our shoelaces mm-hmm. or getting that cup of coffee or a hundred times. But if you really want to thrive in life, uh, you know, see the big picture, be flexible, open to other points of view, be inclusive. I mean, this is all that we want to strive for today. Then it's really important to understand the power of uncertainty. And what's the hardest part about adopting that kind of philosophy and practice? Well, I think you have said this in in the last minutes or so. Um, we are both we're, we're, we're talking about something that's coming at just the right moment into this shattered society that we have. You know, we need this. At the same time, it flies against everything we've been taught. And so there's going to be, you know, pioneers are not, as, as Martin Luther King said, social revolutions are not, quote, neat and tidy. And when he spoke at on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, he didn't give people pat answers. He gave them a dream, which critics criticized as, even today, as nebulous. And yet that was exactly where the power of his words lay. And and one of the placards in that audience, uh, on the marchers, the million marchers on that that, that day, Fred, uh, they, they held up a placard that said, we want freedom of mind. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, to free ourselves. And that's 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 going on to a frontier, but, mm-hmm. um, but, and that's not comfortable and easy. No, it requires it, courage and some boldness. Yeah, and exactly, but, uh, it's, but it's small steps, too. Well, uh, a kind of courage that you have demonstrated with your uh, remarkable insight and vision. Maggie, uh, tell us uh, where people can learn more about your work and what's coming. Um, great. Well, the book is a, a little bit ye- a year away, okay. but um, my website is chock full of articles. Um, I just had a, a New York Times op-ed, which is about um, robots, but it also deals with uncertainty. So that's on my website or just Maggie Jackson Robots on New York Times. You can find that. Uh, and um, so my many of my other writings are um, on the website, and um, it's it's Maggie-Jackson.com. And, the, and then on the um, second edition of the Distracted book yeah. uh, is has a different subtitle, so you can discern it. It's called Distracted, as it was before, but this is called Reclaiming Our Focus in a World of Lost Attention. Uh, so that, it's 2018, so you can find it that way. Awesome. Maggie Jackson, as ever, a thrilling intellectual ride to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for the honor of being uh, having this great conversation with you. 
I hope you found my conversation with Maggie Jackson to be mind-expanding, as I did. Perhaps you were inspired to take a fresh look at how you interact with the world. So, let me offer a challenge to you, an invitation to try an experiment. What can you do today to carve a bit of space, as Maggie put it, to pause and reflect before making a judgment, to live with uncertainty just a little longer than you might ordinarily. If you try this experiment, what do you discover about yourself, about the quality of your thinking, about how you see choices you face throughout the day? I would love to hear from you, so please get in touch with me directly at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for on-air broadcasts of Work and Life on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe Rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.